right, brother. Hey, well, I appreciate you joining me on short notice. And um, I was picking your brain over the phone and <laughs> just was like, man, this would be a good podcast. So <laughs> I didn't I didn't get to come over and hunt your state this year. I've been wanting to do it for a few years now, but um, I figured who else better mind to pick than somebody that lives over there. And I think you guide over there too, don't you? Um, mainly deer, uh, elk, and uh, we do some sheep hunts when, when we get people drawn uh, and javelina and predator hunting. Right on. And, and bow fishing now too, actually. What are you guys bow fishing over there, like carp? Uh, carp. Uh, some of the waterways we're allowed to do catfish. Um, really? Tilapia. Yeah. Tilapia and gizzard shad. I've never even heard of those. Yeah, it's basically a bait fish, but the problem is, and a lot of the waterways, they get really big here and nothing eats them. So <laughs> they become, you know, then you start getting a, you know, bait fish that's like 12 inches or larger. Too and, big to uh, be a bait fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they become very, uh, very fun to shoot. They're, they're uh, kind of like a, they get aerial and stuff. They're a little bit like, I don't know, not definitely not like Asian carp where they're jumping out of the water and into people's boats and stuff. But uh, it does get pretty. They, they come out and they chase the lights and stuff, which is kind of cool. Really, so they're fun. Huh. They're yeah, fun. Never, they're not definitely not good to eat though. Yeah, I never even heard of that. We have shad here, but they're just regular shad. You know, the ones that come up the river every year. Um, yep. And you know, you get a five pound one and something, but I don't. Pretty pretty sure we're not allowed to shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> but. So, yeah. um, I, I really want to go to Arizona in 2024 now, since 2023 is already here. Um, I want to go over there and preferably hunt mule deer, but I would, I've never shot a coos or cows or however the hell you say it. And I cows is the proper way of saying it, but everybody calls them coos, including per- the people that live here. Perfect. Okay. I'll just go with, uh, with par for the course then. Um, so I guess Starting from scratch, I know some things changed um, in the regulations. Was it last year for OTC? Yes. Um, well, it, it it changed uh, last year, but did not. It didn't change January last year. So your first part of the season, January, was unaffected by the new regulations. So it was just the August December hunt for twenty twenty two. Oh. that were subjected to it and then 22 and then january 2023 start um is actually part of last year's harvest data it's kind of a weird so basically every august the harvest data resets the quota resets because it's a quota system now. in august correct okay so if I am a guy who's looking at going to Arizona, I've done a little bit of research. I have maybe Gohunt, Nonix, and I've been poking around and stuff like that. Um, I'll just tell my strategies, and then I guess you can just steer me in the right direction from there, and I'm going to ask you a ton of different questions if that works for you. Sounds good to me. So I hate driving, um, okay. so I would prefer to fly into Phoenix and just rent something and be able yep. to – drive to a unit and just go hunt and then fly everything back. So I'm looking at things that are close to Phoenix. Um, I'm looking preferably my heart. I love mule deer. I just love, I love big mule deer prefer to chase them with a rifle, but 
Spot and stock is also fun, um, and that's pretty much what I'm going to be pursuing a spot and stock ruddy mule deer in January. And oh. um, would prefer to shoot something over 150 inches would be my would be my goal. Um, and I'm you know I'm willing to drive hours once I get to Phoenix. I just don't want to drive to Phoenix. So based gotcha. off of that, um, I'd like to at least see some coos deer, but whether I shoot one or not, you know, they're pretty small, not a ton of meat on them, but you know, right. that's, that's kind of the way I'm leaning. Okay. So there was a lot of different, uh, questions <laughs> rolled up into your, into your desires there. Uh-huh. So let me start with, let me start with this. Um, first, first off your tag is good for either, or it's good for either species, right? As of right now, I think they might think about changing it to just mule deer or just coos deer. But as of right now, it's an any, any antler tag. So you have the opportunity to hunt both. You can't harvest both. You can harvest one or the other. Okay. Um, in Arizona, you're only allowed to kill one deer a year. Um, so if you had, let's say you were lucky enough to draw a rifle tag, mm-hmm. but you went archery hunting in January, you shot a buck, you're done for the year. That tag no longer is of use to you. Um, the All the rifle hunts are, are uh, draw only. And that draw is in, I believe, in May, if I'm not mistaken. Because I think we find out, you find out in the very beginning part of June. Okay. Whether, whether or not you drew a tag. Um, I'd have to double check and look at that. Actually, look at that well, I was quick. looking at the cost too. So I'm like, man, I should be building points in Arizona, and I'm like, man, it's probably super expensive. And then I was looking, and I'm like, it doesn't look like it. Actually, looks like it's really cheap to build it, points. Well, if you're if you're already building points for other species like elk, mm-hmm. it behooves you not to put in for the rest because you have the one thing about Arizona, which a lot of states are going to now, is you have to purchase a hunting license to apply. So you got a hunting license. Mm-hmm. Your hunting license is good for predator hunting, um, fishing, because you have to. When you're a non-resident, you have to buy a combo license. I believe it's 160 bucks. I'll tell you what that is right now. I guess you got the regs open. I just popped it open. Yeah, it, it looks sh- a lot cheaper than Idaho. I can tell you that. It is. It is cheaper than Idaho for sure. Um, so okay, the non-resident combination is 160 bucks i was right it's 160 bucks um perfect and that's so you buy that and then that allows you for 365 days okay. actually 364 days they kind of cheat you a day um it is good for it is good for you to apply for any hunt so I always purchase it like right before, let's say the the uh, the deer because it's in in uh, in May or whatever, and then that will get me all of all the stuff that we apply for during that hunt. Get me all the spring hunts and get me the elk draw as well. So if I purchase a license in May. Uh-huh. That license is good for the January hunt too for the following year, or do I have to purchase yes. another one? You do not. So basically, th- you're... The, the license is three hundred sixty day, sixty four days from when you buy it. Oh, okay. So that makes that makes more sense. It doesn't okay. matter when you buy it; it's three hundred sixty. And, and so, <laughs> I've had it before where 
my license has expired mid season of something that I was hunting. And then you have to go get another license, but, or you just buy it online. It's pretty easy. Um, so right now what's open is the, the elk draw. So like you would be able to apply for elk right now, accumulate points for elk. And then when the deer draw comes up, you accumulate points for deer. So the great thing about our current system, which I don't know if it's going to stay this way, but up until this year, because of the over-the-counter uh, deer, you can apply every year to get a bonus point or apply every year for a uh, rifle tag. And if you don't draw, okay, cool, you didn't draw, but you still got a license, so now you can go purchase an over-the-counter tag to go archery hunting. Right. Right. That makes more sense. So I guess um, <laughs> I guess if I was going to put in for – how late can you put in for the elk? When When is the elk – stop because um, if i was gonna buy a, a point now for an elk or apply for elk now i'd have to buy my license which uh-huh. when does when does deer season in january end is it already over no it's 31st oh so you wouldn't want to buy but, it middle of the season because then you'd come into that scenario where you're in the middle of the season and then you have to buy another license so you're hitting two licenses just to hunt one season now correct um and well, here's the thing. Well, I'll, we'll get to that in a second. When you purchase your over-the-counter license as an out-of-state person, you can't do it until December 1st. Oh, okay. And they usually sell out in 24 hours. It's got to become like Idaho. Really? Yes. There is so, a 10% cap on non-resident. So they allot 10% of the tags, historic tags, to non-residents and it opens on midnight of december 1st i believe so am Um, i already screwed for hunting 2024 january no this december december December. i see december 2023 you have to purchase what sucks is because you can't really plan your freaking january hunt until december until you know you got a tag (laughs) it's bull it's bullshit it's kind of excuse my french but it's like it's all they kind of screwed us up like as an outfitter they really messed this up. Um, well, I got some ideas of what would they can keep the same system that they have and do it like we do bear, uh, which would be having a quota for each season versus one for all three. So we in, in Arizona with the bow, that over-the-counter tag, it's good from usually like around the 20th of August to like September 11th, somewhere around there, September 9th, depends on the elk hunt. Mm-hmm. It usually it usually ends the day before the first elk season starts. Okay, uh, and it's a month month long. Okay, uh, so there's that season, and then the next season will be like December 10th, around there, to the 31st of December, and then your first season. I should have said your first season is technically January 1st to the 31st. But as far as the quota is concerned, it starts in August. It's kind of it's cockamamie. It, I, honestly, it's excuse me, I got crazy allergies today. It's all um, good. Um, the uh, the system is very flawed. These are conversations we're going to be having with them here pretty soon. But uh, could you go back to your question? You asked me when the deadline is for elk. It's February fourteenth. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Um, 
the javelina there's a javelina hunt that coincides with the january deer hunt too so you could but you have to apply for that in october it's hmm. it's very or september and then you find out in october hmm. um because that's when our spring draw is so if you want to have an archery javelina tag and an archery deer tag and come in january to hunt both it takes quite a bit of planning right sounds like it and luck where before and before it used to be you just showed up here and you i mean you had always had to apply for the javelina tag but you just showed up here and you went to walmart and you bought a tag like that's the way it used to be literally up until last year god dang it yeah yeah <laughs> um anyhow so that uh that has changed the going back to what your initial opening statement was you want to hunt mule deer preferably uh, mule deer Mule deer occupy the whole state. Uh, according to Game and Fish, there is mule deer in every unit in the state. Now, that is mostly true, but there is also a lot of shit habitat that there's, I mean, very few and far between, like very desolate, crappy. You're, you, could there be mule deer out there? Yes, but um, you're probably not going to find it. But in all the major, major units and the whole middle section of the state from top to bottom, north to south, that is all very good mule deer habitat. Um, and the distribution of mule deer are very good. As far as genetics are concerned, like you mentioned, you want to shoot something 150 or better, you can literally throw a dart hmm. and pick a spot. Like Arizona, uh same thing with elk. People are always helping. Oh, I got to get unit 23, unit 1, unit 10, whatever. Yeah, there are more 400-inch bulls in those units, but there's literally a 400-inch bull in every unit. Hmm. Like, you just, it's just all how you, how much you want to hunt, how hard you want to work, you know? Um, you know, putting the strip aside and some of the, like, really top, top, top tier units, you know, all the desert units can provide you a 115 inch mule deer. Like hmm. there's, there's not a, there's not a, and I, and I say desert, but that also, even the JPs, like if you're hunting the, the central, central Phoenix or excuse me, central Arizona and uh, up to the, you know, the, the rim and stuff like that, that is all great mule deer country. There's, you know, plenty of 150 to 170 inch bucks to be had. Um, but, we're on this quota system now. Okay. And many of the units, they're only allotting. Well, just to give you an example, I'm going to give you an ex a very popular unit is unit 36 C. This is one of the units that was promoted by Randy Newberg, the hushing guys, you know, they just blew it up. Uh, yeah. Um, they destroyed it the Arizona fishing game by hiring influencers to get people to come hunt coos deer and the effing up the mule deer populations. Really? Bad. Because what happens? Guys show up. Oh yeah, we're going to go coos deer hunting. And they figure out how freaking hard it is. It is literally 10 times harder than hunting mule deer. Really? 
Are they just like opinion. hunting crackheads or what? <laughs> well, they're just super skittish. The yeah. country they occupy is harder to get close. Like you have to be closer because you can't get shots because it's thicker. Like there's a lot of crap working against you. We can get into that if you want to, but mm-hmm. um, I'm just kind of like, you know, giving you broad strokes here. The They came, people showed up and they're like, oh, but did you see that 160 inch mule deer over there? Let's go chase that. Our tag's good for that. So all these mule deer started getting whacked. Then, even though I am for the wall uh, in Arizona, that also <laughs> interfered with a lot of the migration back and forth over Mexico. Really? Um, I never so thought of going, that. going back to Unit 36C, which is right there on you know down by the border, it's at one of the border units, and uh, they have like 200 and a quarter of like 235. Don't quote me exactly. Um, Who's deer? It's going to be harvested, but only five mule deer bucks. So that unit closed very quickly. You know, it was closed. Um, they closed down when I actually, I was hunting down there. We were down there because my buddy had, my buddy Charles had a javelina tag in those units. So we drove down there to go kill his javelina. Um, that unit closed, I think, like January. Sixth, I think, or seventh, something like that. Wow. Very quickly. So, like, that causes problems. So now that unit closed. You came here to, uh, you know, you had the idea. You got maybe you got a VRBO. You set up a trailer. You, whatever you did, you set up these plans to go hunt that unit. And now you arrive and that unit's closed. So now all of a sudden you got to change your plans to move to another unit. And what it's causing is it's causing people to flock to different units. And now the competition's going way up because we're not all spread out. You know, people aren't coming, hey, I want to go hunt this unit, I'm gonna go hunt this unit. And it's it's causing a lot of problems. And the other thing about it, there's this language written into the rules of how the system works, is that if a unit reaches its quota two years in a row, it could possibly go to a draw. So this conversation that we're having right now, two years from now, right now, might not be, might not be, uh, yeah. you know, a thing. We might be to a draw. So, so I guess if if I'm looking, because um, I I when you and I talked, I ran a few units by it, and I and I picked him because I saw that there seemed to be a good amount of water. Um, terrain was one of the things I was really focusing on because I wanted to set up and glass at certain spots. And just see, you know, let my eyes do the most walking possible. Um, I guess, how important in your mind are those two pieces of the puzzle? Or am I focusing on the wrong things there? No, you're definitely focusing on the right stuff. Um, We're in a desert. Mm -hmm. It's not too hard to connect the dots, man. Like, they need water. Uh, I mean, all animals need, you know water feed and cover and escape routes um and and if you're hunting where it's really cold you need thermal cover but arizona they're tied to water even though we've had a great year there's a lot of rain there's a lot of water everywhere they still need to be in places where permanent water is going to be year-round because it dries up quick um so looking for water and there's a lot of cattle water. There's a lot of developed water from Arizona Game of Fish. And 
And there is plenty of places, if you're looking, that have springs and stuff like that, that especially in the wintertime, will be running. Uh, they might not be running in the summer, but the, the, you know, in the wintertime, especially if it's a, a rainy winter like we have right now, they will be running. Yeah, because I, I just I know obviously desert water is very important, but it just seems like um, like I was on a hunt one time and they were in a huge drought where we went and it was like a five year drought. And then when we get there, magically we brought the rain with us. And then it was like, well, right. any anything that could hold water was holding water. Little puddles of rocks, just everything. And it was just like, well, there goes all of our planning out the, out the window. You right. Know? So I definitely wouldn't come here with one plan. Mm-hmm. You know, don't come here with one plan. One, because the conditions will change. Two, we have what's called a trickle rut. You never really know. This is why I, as an outfitter, when somebody asks me, hey, we're, what unit are we going to be hunting? I'm like, I don't know. When you get here, I will let you know. Like, that's <laughs> because a lot of times I'm bouncing around. So, just to give you an idea, Charles was here for a week. Um, and I put a thousand miles in my truck that week and we visited six different units. Hmm. Now, how much you know? walking would you consider you doing in that? So you put a thousand miles. So are you glassing a ton from your truck or are you driving, I, I, walking I, up to a top of a ridge, you know, a quarter mile, getting back in the truck? Like, what's that look like? Yes. <laughs> Do all, all, all of that. Okay. There's. There's some stuff in some areas that I hunt where we got to hike two miles just to get a, a to a glassing point. And there's some stuff where I pull up and literally glass, you know, jump out of the truck and set up a chair and glass. Okay. Um, there are a lot of roadways. There's a lot of access. There's a lot of public land um, in Arizona. So it's not hard to get away from people if you try. It's not hard to get into country that looks at stuff um, if you're – Using your brain, it's not that hard to find animals if you're a good – like, they're tough to spot. I'm not going to say that, especially if you're hunting coos. They're, they're very tough to spot. If you're hunting javelima, they're very tough to spot. Um, most people see them because they're looking for coos there and just happen to see them. Um, but, you know, you're hunting mule deer, you got to look where mule deer are at. So down in the desert – down in the desert, that means they're going to be in the rollers and then the flats. You're not going to find them up on the mountain. If you look up on the mountain, you're going to find coos deer. Hmm. That doesn't mean you won't find coos deer down in the rollers, but you won't find mule deer up on the mountain. Very rarely. Now, if you go hunting in central Arizona, you'll find mule deer on the mountain. If you go in northern Arizona, you're definitely going to find them on the mountain. We actually have very – I think it's even more than this, but I distinctly I can tell you we have Rocky Mountain mule deer. We have a Sonoran, the Sonoran Desert mule deer. And then we have the Kaibab mule deer, which is found on the Kaibab and like the strip. Hmm. So they're, they're different. They're different body size. They got a little different coloration. Rack configuration's a little different. Um, color, color of the rack is usually a little different. Like they might be rubbing on things differently. Um, but where you find them is different. Like, so the, when you're hunting the northern units, like, say, if you're like in the 20, in the 20s period, like 23, 22, whatever, you will find mule deer 
both above uh, both above 5,500 feet or about 5,000 feet and below that 3,000 foot mark. But from that 3,000 foot mark to 5,000 foot, you're typically going to see more cruise theory. Really? Yeah. So uh, I guess my, my question would be is like I, I've never been to Arizona. I always think of it as being flat, and I know that's not accurate. But not even close. How how mountainous is Arizona in parts where you're where you're hunting? Because it just feels like if I have a giant flat valley and I just get up on the only peak, which I know is not accurate, but that's like the way my mind is like working. I have to talk myself out of that. You know, some places is like that. You know, some places uh, some places are very much like that. You look for the you know the few peaks, the few points that you can climb up top, and it's just a you know two hundred foot 300 foot elevation climb change uh and you climb up on that and you're looking through you know typically if you're hunting mule deer that's a lot of what you'll be doing yeah um we we have what's called they call them sky islands okay i live right next to one right now i mean um i am sitting right now at 1500 feet but if i go in my backyard i'm looking at mcdowell mountain range and make that top of the McDowell's almost 4,000 feet. Hmm. And it's just, it's like, it just erupts out of the ground. So I, I want to go over weather before no. we move on again. So we <laughs> talked about rain and, and the roles that it plays. Um, now our, the, the, the mule deer that I've hunted, um, they, they, man, they don't like it. They just hunker down um, in, in Eastern Oregon. They just, the, you know the best hunting's nice and sunny, um, from what I've seen. And, and you know, even even when we get snow, you think uh, they move around a little bit, but they just they don't get a lot of that in October, and they just they just kind of just don't like it. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just they haven't got all their winter fat and coats yet, and they just are cold. But do, how do your deer act in a weather front or rain or just anything but sunshine? <laughs> um, really depends where you're at. But if we're talking about the desert. Um, I don't really think the rain affects them at all. Matter of fact, one of my guides has got clients right now and he's hunting. Uh, it's been raining the last two days here and they've seen a shit ton of deer. Really? Yeah. Shit ton of deer. Now, you know, you get up high in elevation and that rain becomes snow. Um, that can change things. You, 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 we don't have a whole lot of migration here, but you will see, especially like, uh, I mean, just to give you an example, this is not a, a deer example, but just it, it was an elk hunt. I had an elk hunt um, in 2011, late season archery elk hunt, and I was in Flagstaff, uh, had that unit, it's uh, seven east. And that's the tallest peak in all of Arizona. I think it's like 13,000 feet or something at the very top. Holy crap. That's taller than so, the highest peak in Oregon. Yeah. So we had all this. Um, it's the very last mountain of the Rockies, by the way, too, I think. Hmm. Um, anyway, so I had all this Intel trail cameras and all this stuff when we were allowed to use trail cameras, picks and all this stuff. And I had, I was going to tree stain on it. I had. Everything set up, corridors, snow, snow came in in November, and it was like mass exodus. All the elk that were at 
let's say 8,000, 9,000 feet, they all drop down the mountain to five or 6,000 feet. Hmm. So you'll get that same mini migration. You know, they'll just drop an elevation. If it's a big mountain range, they'll just drop an elevation off the tops. Hmm. Um, I think in January, your biggest focus, if you're coming to hunt the rut, is the best strategy is going around and finding where the does are at. And even if they don't have a buck with them, you keep going back to check because that's, that's going to change. There will be a buck with them. Yeah. What would you consider the, a time frame? So if I'm a guy and I'm planning a hunt and I want to have a really good shot at at least getting a shot at a buck, what is your average time frame for, for shot to maybe days? Um, do you have anything any ideas you know, there? I think that I think that all really depends on the caliber of hunter that you are. I'm not I'm not directing this to you, just like in general to your people that are listening. Like, I mean, me personally, I like to have at least a minimum, absolute minimum of five days. Um, but I would prefer to have probably seven to ten days mm-hmm. total. Um, like I know it also depends on what caliber of deer you're looking for. Like, you know, I know like Marlon Holden for, for instance, he, he literally comes and plans to be here the whole, whole month, right. whether, whether, you know, it's going to take him that long. He just tagged out what yesterday, I think it was or two days ago. So it took him 15 or 16 days, but he was looking over deer. you know, there's deer that you and I would have been happy to <laughs> hmm. drop off the mountain and go kill. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with that. It's not, especially if we're talking mule deer. I don't think, I don't think they're any. They're not. They're just the same animal. They're not any, any harder than hunting mule deer anywhere else. It's just the conditions are different. You're dealing with a situation where they, you you're looking at them, and they could take one step, and you can't see them anymore. Right. Um, and the ground is very noisy. Uh, sneak tech boots work really well down here in the flats and in the rollers, not so much on the mountain. Um, because it's very, it's very loud and it's not a place you want to take your boots off. Everything wants to bite you. Everything wants to poke you, stick you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the desert's a very unforgiving place. Like it's very pretty, especially and, and the de- desert changes. It's very different. So, like, up here where I'm at, um, and don't quote me on the names, but, like, this up here, I believe, is just a Sonoran, is what we call the Sonoran Desert. And as you go further south, it becomes, like, like Mojave Desert, uh, where it transitions. For, like, up here, it's more um, Palo Verdes, more Saguaros. I'm going to kill my dog. Excuse me. <laughs> it's all good. Um more saguaros, uh, you know, still a lot of prickly pear cactus, but there's more like staghorn choyas. And these are all things you got to familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with, mm-hmm. um, because some of these are food sources. Some of them are preferred hiding, like coos deer and emulies too. They love what's called acatillo. And this is like spaghetti string, like multiple arm long narrow cactus that grows here a lot 
Hmm. And as the further south you go, the more you get of those. Um, the further south, the more you get more mesquite versus mesquite trees versus uh, Palo Verde trees. So you'll have these big expanses of mesquite bottoms, and those those mesquite systems carry a lot of deer, and they're very hard to look into. They're very dense, so you're catching bits and pieces of deer, and that's what makes it harder. So I don't think it like the deer themselves. It's not a. Uh, it's not a matter of the mule deer here being tougher than anywhere else, especially during the rut. I think they're very much in line with the other places that I hunt as far as the, the species is concerned. Uh, coos deer, that's a whole different ball of wax. They are crackheads. They are <laughs> very, very high, high wound up. Uh, everything wants to eat them, so they're very on alert with everything. Yeah, um, makes sense. You know, mule deer will run 50 yards to around, look back at you. They'll do that, you know, thing uh, where who's there sees you and they'll run it to the next county. Um, you know, they're, they're very much whitetail. They do a lot of whitetail things. You can you can use whitetail strategies on them, rattling, calling. Uh, will work on coos deer. Uh, some of that stuff works on mule deer too. Grunting works on mule deer. Uh, decoying works on mule deer. Not so much coos. Um, but the... Uh, you know, just give you a, a, an example. So I don't often do this, but 2021, uh, December 2021, I, I harvested a coos buck here, but I sat in water for the first time um, in a very long time. And uh, this doe comes in to come drink out of this drinker. I was sitting on a, on a man-made water. And um, – she's standing on top of like a concrete apron that catches the water that brings it to what feeds the tank. Mm -hmm. And, uh, a bird came and landed on the trough. (laughs) She turned inside out, hit the floor, couldn't get up. She was trying to run away. Like legs are flailing all because of a bird. Like, you know, like that's how skittish they are. So, um, they're they're much much tougher to get close to i think and, yeah and where they're at I, I would expect that too and and um so i guess what's that what's an average day of of hunt look like for you are you seeing 10 deer 20 deer one buck what's it what's an average day well honestly it really depends on which unit i'm hunting sometimes if i'm hunting units that are very low density those are units that carry bigger bucks mm-hmm. and i can go a whole day with just seen a handful of deer Hmm. um some of the higher densities units you know it's not uncommon to see you know 60 70 deer a day okay yeah over here in oregon man it's it's um it's hit and miss but you know you'll see 20 30 deer maybe a day and if you're lucky a couple bucks a day and we'll go for a week week and a half and we'll see usually we'll see one or two just big bucks and the rest of them are just you know average 130 120 you know but you have to hunt your you have to hunt your freaking butt off where we go and it's like you're still not even guaranteed to see one it's it's just it's frustrating it's 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 worth getting out of oregon to go pursue better opportunities which sounds Mm -hmm. like you know arizona is a pretty good opportunity but 
you know, it just sucks that everything it's changing though. Yeah, everything is just is it's changing like the OTC and in Idaho, you know, it it changed um, just a couple years ago, and it's a freaking zoo now. And it sounds like Arizona's a zoo, and it just uh, this OT or this out of state OTC or anything really is just. I feel like every state's starting to fill the pinch, you know. Every yes. state's starting to get more competitive with non-residents. It's just, I it, it's, right. I don't know. I'm not when it's going to happen, but there's going to be a bottleneck sooner or later. There's got to be. Yes. Well, it's happening, and it's happening across the country. So, I mean, like, we're seeing that right now here in Arizona. Some of the other states that I hunt, actually, I've gotten to the point where I don't even want to talk about some of the other states that I hunt <laughs> on the podcast and stuff like that just because, you know, my hunting, to me, is more important than me, my popularity. <laughs> yeah. You know, than my popularity on, on uh, social media. But it it's getting to the point that, and I, I'm not blaming out of state because it's not out of state because we have a we have a up until this year we didn't have but even with the 10 percent cap it's not it's not enough I think that they made some really poor decisions in the last 10 years um, that have brought us to the place that we're at but mule deer in general, but I'm going to say this, and I, I don't want to piss people off, but mule deer in general across the country are on the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way to right that ship is to make changes to make those things happen. I don't want to see hunting opportunity go away. Shit, I go freaking everywhere. You know, that's and this particular hunt that we're talking to is my favorite hunt of the year. Is literally my favorite hunt of the year. Not only because it's in my home state and I can hunt from my house a lot of the times, but it's just a special place to be. The desert's a special place to be in the, in the wintertime. And the rut is, you know, I love hunting the rut. I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of big velvet bucks. <laughs> I actually don't have any big velvet bucks, to be honest with you. Um, you know, most of my big deer have all been taken during the rut of some sort. Yeah, pretty close to the rut. Man, I've got a few velvet bucks, and I just like, man, those are cool. I'm ready to go back and kill hardhorn now. Like, it's just, I some guys like velvet more. I personally, I just want a big, dark rack. Like, I just, I like those darker. I don't know. And velvet's kind of just the the couple bucks I did mount that were velvet. I lost. I did fake velvet, and you know, not ever doing velvet before. I'm like. I got talked into it, and um, and they're they're not even close to what the deer actually look like. I lost like right thirty percent of my mass on my bucks. It's like yeah, you know, I'm like oh man, I'm like I remember holding them like it's just a chunk of bone that you're holding on to. You know, your hands can not even really go around the whole horn, or maybe barely touch. And now it's like you're grabbing a, just a regular blacktail antler. It's like what the hell? It's just yeah. like I don't know, soapbox, but. Um, so I guess for, for hunting pressure, you say there's a ton of, there's a ton of public land. So if you're getting pressure, do you, do you put up with it or you just move? Well, I've been dealing with hunting pressure my whole life though. Uh, even though I've been living here for 32 years, uh, I grew up in New York and that's like, uh, um, <laughs> com- combat hunting. So, you know, the, the idea of pressure never bothered me just because that's my first experiences were going out with 
500 other people in orange suits shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but so you, it's, it's not that hard to get away from people and it sucks when they're in near spots and whatever. And there's deer very well distributed throughout the landscape. So you should be able to find deer other places. Um, I, for one, if I pull up to a spot and there's somebody there that is already there, I'm not one of those guys that goes 100 yards down the road and glasses at the same shit. Like, that doesn't fly with me. Mm-hmm. I get pissed off when people do it to me, so I'm not going to do it to them. Um, but, and you'll you'll run into that. Charles and I, two years ago when he was here, we had, we were stalking. We were stalking a buck. Uh, him and I went down together. Um, I was actually going to call the buck over for him. And uh, these guys, they, we, we had spotted them from the highway. So, you know, it's not like it was this, like, crazy honey hole or anything. But we were clearly parked on the side of the highway. And these guys saw our truck. And they came out. They didn't get – we made this big circle to get the wind right and everything. And we were almost where we needed to be to make that happen and these guys started charging in from the road coming straight at these deer not giving a shit about the wind or whatever and uh of course blew them all out mm-hmm. and uh i don't get heated very often but i got really heated <laughs> about that because this was like the fourth that fourth time something happened uh-huh. during that hunt and I was just like, you know what? I'm like, Charles, move your ass, dude. We're gonna get, we're gonna catch these guys. I said they're not, they're not outrunning the raptor. I said let's run. <laughs> we ran to them, jumped in my truck, and we, I chased them down the highway, and I pulled up alongside of them, made them pull over, and I gave them an earful. They were from Pennsylvania. I'm like, you don't, we don't do that shit here in Arizona. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know. I it seems anyway. like every year I find those assholes too. Every year it just never fails. You know. Yeah. Um, sure. I guess I guess if if I was going to go over there and hunt, I have to put in for a unit. But the way that it sounds like it works is that I just have to get a tag. Um, no, no, no. And then it's good for a to, bunch of areas. You don't. No, you don't have to put it. If you're talking about the OTC, you're just buying an OTC tag, and whatever unit is open, you're allowed to hunt. Okay, and it's first come, first serve. Correct. God dang, yeah, and it sells so, out quick. Yeah, I mean it's it's like ten thousand tags though. Okay, but it sells out fast. Yeah, hmm. it sells out real fast. Well, it sounds like uh, I've I've got plenty of information to go off of. You know, I I feel more comfortable now. Like if I, if it sounds like if you're just not seeing deer, move. Don't overcommit. Right. Glass, glass, glass. Be willing to walk a little bit here and there, and just glass until you find a buck you want to shoot. Basically. Yeah. So it's don't overthink I mean, it. Simple simplified that is definitely it for sure. <laughs> so um in in your opinion at least go for seven to ten days if you can preferably no no less than five i mean if a guy right. that hunts it and lives over there and guides is saying you need five days i'd give myself more than that you know for right coming out of state yeah because you know it's just like anything else the more at bats you get the greater your chances are 100 you know? percent and I've got one more question uh, for you, John, and, and this is a um, question that probably I only really care about. What's the snake situation over there in January? Is there a lot of rattlesnakes in January? Because I, I don't like them. Um, in, in 32 years, in 32 years, 
I've seen three in January in that time of year. Yeah. Uh, December, December to, to mid February. Okay. I've seen about three. That makes me feel better. Cause if I'm like spotting and stalking and I'm like, I'm just, I'm worried about snakes the whole freaking time. I, 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 I don't know if it's a phobia, but it's pretty damn close. If it's not, man, yeah. <laughs> I just if, can't if, do it. If you're coming, if you're coming in, in September or, or August, then that, that goes up to about, uh, two or three per day a day <laughs> so, i mean in, in some areas yeah it could be holy yeah. crap so we don't it's not like we have a shortage just snakes here yeah no joke and you guys have big and rattlers it, over there too yeah so. and the grass is tall yeah lots of places God. for them to hide um so going over straw uh draw strategy real quick so if i'm going over there and i'm building points and i can get the o- otc tag first come first serve if i'm wanting to build points I should just put in for a hard to get unit, or is is yes. rifle kind of like archery? Like it's every unit's pretty good, or what do you think in there? Well, so that time of year, it's not that the unit the units are probably don't really change; they're still just as good. But where the deer live and what the your chances of seeing a buck in the earlier seasons, like an October, if you got like an October hunt, mm-hmm. very tough to find mule deer, good mule deer. Really. Um. You know, I shouldn't say very tough. If, if you know where there are, they are at, then you know. You know, and I have the luxury of knowing where a lot of them at are at at that time of year. But you can't go like you could during the um, OTC hunts and just go to a glass and point and start looking. Like you can, but you you're not going to see bucks like you do. Okay. So how many yeah. points would you suggest building up to, to draw a decent tag? So I wouldn't concern myself about points as far as don't just build points. Arizona, unlike a lot of states, you have a mathematical chance of drawing every single time you put it. So you don't need to get to 10 points, let's say, to draw a tag. Now... Let me explain this a little bit better. So, let me, let me, I'm going to explain it to you on, a, on the extreme level. It takes 25 points to be in the max pool to get a sheep tag. Okay? Mm-hmm. I've had people draw it with three. Okay. Okay? So, what that means is it's like lottery. You can't win if you don't play. Don't just come here and be like, all right, I'm going to buy a I'm going to buy a bonus point this year because I don't have a chance to draw what I want to draw. Just put in for what you want to draw and you might get it. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, You know, if you don't want to draw it, that's a different story. Like I do that sometimes. Like I don't want to draw a tag because I have another, have another tag in another state. I'm like, I'm faced with that this year. I'm like, I don't don't know if I want to draw a tag in Arizona for elk. (laughs) I got an Idaho tag, and, you know, possibly a Wyoming tag. I, I don't need another elk tag, you know. So um, I would say if you do want to come or have the possibility coming, just keep just keep shooting for the stars, even though that may not be your goal. You might just want, like, a mid-tier unit. But if you don't want to come shoot for the stars, if you get it, great. Hell, if you just got a freaking strip tag or whatever, you know. Right, right. So you, you have you, the you opportunity. So yeah. I guess in in your draw, because like Oregon twenty five percent 
of the tags go to a random draw. 75% yep. go to the people with the points. Is it similar right. for Arizona then too? Yes. The, the, the percentage is different, but yes, that is correct. Okay. Well, that makes, that makes me feel better. So if I wanted to put in for a crazy ass hunt, I'm like, oh, well, you know, buy a lottery ticket, I guess. But, you know, if I draw, I right. draw. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Cause that, you know, if I drew a, you know, crazy, crazy tag in Arizona, I would drop whatever tag I had somewhere else to go hunt exactly. that once on a lifetime tag. Why wouldn't you? You know, exactly. So, exactly. all right, brother. Well, hey, I think I've got a lot more information than I had before this conversation. Is there anything that you feel like we we needed to hit that I didn't ask, or anything that would be pertinent to somebody looking at Arizona? Um, I don't know. We were all over the place. I don't remember what we touched. <laughs> so, um, I think I think no. I think we covered the the deer situation very well. Uh, I do want to I do want to speak to you. Uh, your listeners real quick about how for wildlife absolutely make sure make sure they know about it and to get involved um if you don't know about it just go for how for wildlife.org and uh and take a look at it but uh my my main message i want to get across is something that you and i talked about off off book here um is that i want people to understand that we're all in this together like the guy who hunts elk in Oregon should be concerned about the guy who hunts whitetail in South Carolina. Um, we all pay into the same pot. We're all in this together. So get involved in each other's issues. Don't, don't just get involved in the stuff that is important to you directly or directly affects you because at the end of the day, eventually it's going to come back to you. And then those people that needed your help before are not going to be around because they're, got into mountain biking now because they can't hunt exactly so you know in oregon's a great example um because we are neighbors with washington washington's oh, yeah. done some retarded shit with their bear seasons in the spring um and i guess i mean my and maybe you can help me out with this my only not my only one but my biggest my biggest problem with this politics is that facts don't matter it is now oh. an emotion-based decision almost every single time and yep. it's who basically who screams the loudest and who's, you know, I, and not even that. It's just, it's just a lot of these commission boards are rigged, you know, like ours is pretty much completely liberal anti-hunting commission. So is Washington. So is Washington. So a, how one guy on there that's not, how do we overcome that? Like what, what, do, what can we do? Cause ours is appointed by the governor and we can't elect yeah. a Republican governor, governor here. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so that's where Hal steps in. And I say steps in. We don't really step in. It's not like we're doing it for you. We're just giving the people the tools. So the thing about politics is it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or whatever. Your constituents are your constituents, whether they voted for you or not. And if you piss people off, they're, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to stay in office very long. And so... What you need to do and what, what, what we effectively do with Health Wildlife is we need to show those people that there is enough people. There's not just this squeaky wheel complaining about bear hunting and bears are sentient beings and blah, 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 blah. That's a small group of people making that squeak, right? If we're a much bigger squeaky wheel over here saying, no, bear hunting is this and we're providing information and we're provide, providing the science and stuff like that, 
nine times out of 10, it'll go our way. Regardless, regardless of, uh, you know, what party these people are from. Now, there's some like situations right now, Washington, that's a very, very, and I'm not going to, I don't really want to go on record saying this, but (laughs) they're a very corrupt commission. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't feel like no matter I shouldn't say no matter what we do, but they are very agenda oriented and they're trying to push the, their agenda no matter what. Um, but that has been backfiring on them. Yeah. Well, it's they, just sad they, when they don't even listen to their own publicly right. funded biologists. You know, it's just like. Exactly. And I've, I've asked them, I'm like, you know, because I, I know some of the biologists here locally. It's like, how do you do your job when you know that whatever you say doesn't matter? I mean, I know that's blunt, but Besides, I mean, they're not realistic. listening to you. So what's like, in one like, well, I enjoy working with wildlife. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, that's really about all they can say. It's like, right. you know, and it's not their fault. I mean, I, I know where their hearts are at and I know that they push for the right things um, locally at least. And it's just like, man, it's just deaf ears. You know, I, if, if they were, if something was getting voted on that I had no freaking clue anything about it, about maybe like euthanasia in Rhode Island of a rat, like, and I had a vote, I wouldn't fucking vote because I don't know what I'm what I'm voting right. on. I don't know anything. But that's part of part of the problem with our system, in my opinion, is like people have the ability to vote on things they have no idea what right. anything is. And I know that's well, that's like what I, why one of the things that we're trying to do is when we have an action up and we want hunters to get involved, we're doing everything we possibly can to educate that person, you know? So they know, what am I getting involved in here? Like, what is this? These are here. These are all the facts. These are all, this is what, how it affects me as a sportsman and, uh, and why I should get involved. Yeah. You know? And then you just ultimately, you make the decision. I don't think really because we don't get involved in stuff that's hunter to hunter. Like, TV, so trail cameras are banned here in Arizona the past, uh, oh my God, it's almost two years now. Uh, we didn't get involved in that because that's a, that's a people problem. Mm-hmm. It's not a wildlife management thing. So if it's directly tied to wildlife management or it's going to affect funding or affect the way... Um, the wildlife is managed in any way, shape, or form, then how for wildlife to get involved in it? Because then it's not a people problem. Then it's like, okay, here's the facts, here's the science. This is the outcome if it goes the other way, and this is the outcome if we keep it. And um, so, in my opinion, there shouldn't be anything that one hunter comes, even if you're not a bear hunter, and okay? even if you don't believe in killing bears you as a hunter should understand that there is a management component. Okay. There's tons of research about predator pits. There's tons of research. I mean, there's right now Mendocino County in California did just got done doing like huge study, 10 year study or something like that about how bears and mountain lions have negatively impacted the blacktail Mm -hmm. herd there. And they haven't been able to hunt, lines for a very long time there and you know nobody thought that bears had an impact on this but they do they got a huge impact one of the main things that bears do is they steal 
kills away from lions, which forces a lion to go back to have to kill more. So now we're not talking 52 animals a year that this lion is killing. It's killing more like 65. Right. You know, that, you know, changes things. Think about that. Like, so here in Arizona, they're claiming that there's 2,000 mountain lions, right? So 2,000 mountain lions times 52, that's 104,000 undulants that are getting killed. That's, you know, deer, sheep, antelope. Yeah. Elk. Havelina, whatever. Man, I wish we that's had two thousand mountain lions in Oregon. <laughs> we have close well, to seven. so that's the that, that's the thing is that's the number they use. But mm-hmm. every person I've ever talked to that who's in the know says it's more between somewhere between four and five thousand. Yeah, I believe it. So you know, this is this is the stuff that goes on. You know, we could go down a crazy rabbit hole with this, but the main thing is if we want to continue to have hunting and continue to do what we do and enjoy this, um, let's not even look at the management right now because there's management stuff. But if we want just politically and, uh, policy wise, if we want to continue to have this, it's important that we all stick together because guess what? The anti hunters, they stick together. Yeah. That's why when you go to a thing like Project Coyote and HUSIS and all these different orgs will show up to represent, and it might not be the species that they're even involved in, but they lock arms together. You know, the Save the Whale people come for the Save the Sales pe- Seal people. We don't do that shit. No. <laughs> you know, we don't. We, we, have, we have legacy orgs that are our critter orgs like Rocky Mountain Elf Foundation and the other foundation, they do great work. But the, the inter, well, once they're, those aren't policy, they, they don't really get involved in policy much because they're 501c3s and they don't want to direct policy because they'll lose their status. And you got to be a 501c4. There's a whole, there's a whole, you know, bunch of crap, or reasons why they don't get involved. But like, if you look at like SEIs and stuff like that, that are set up to do that, they're not really, and I don't, I'm not trying to bag on them because they, they all have their place and they all do great work. And I'm, hell, I'm a member of half, more than half of them. Um, they just don't do what needs to be done. And I mean, that's why Half Wallet kind of came about because we were just tired of seeing that and we wanted yeah. to, you know, push the needle. So, well, anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, it's all good, and I and I appreciate what you guys do, and and I think it's valuable. And I was just talking to a guy about that a couple of days ago on his podcast, and I'm like, you know, like it's it's time to start getting more involved because I'm seeing it all around me. I'm you know I'm part of the Oregon Hunters Association board locally. Okay. Um, you know, like I, if you're just complaining without doing anything, you're bitching. You know, you're not being a part of the solution. So right. It's it's time to start being part of the solution, and just get involved. I mean, really, it's it's a couple, it's like one two nights a month, and yeah. that's really about it. You know, it's not not a big it, commitment. It's not it's not even that crazy. Like not even that. Like so, let's just look at how for wildlife, and I'll, I won't take up too much more time. Like it, an action takes what forty five seconds to do. Mm-hmm. Just get on there. Put your name and your email. Boom. So click. You're done. Done. Move on with your day. Like what I don't understand right now, there's a bill in Canada. Okay, so we're we're involved in all of North America, not just 
the United States. Um, there's a bill in Canada. They're going to lose the ability to hunt with firearms mm-hmm. if it passes. It's crazy. And there's only like a thousand people who have signed that petition. Really? Like, there should be a couple million. Can right? you be from the States and sign that? <laughs> you I can. Mean, you can, 100%. really? 100%. Yes, really? Because, we, because we are allowed to hunt there. Oh, okay. So that's the other thing that people don't understand. Like, we, I, we, we constantly come across that here. Well, that's in, you know, in Colorado. Why should I get involved in that? I'm from Oregon, you know? Well, if you ever hope to, one, hunt in Colorado, that should mean something to you. But even if you never want to hunt there, we all could get involved. Our, our animals and our public lands are holding public trust, right? We, we, we own them as, as a public, right? And we have the say in policy that happens in Florida just as much as it happens in New York or, you know, Indiana. It doesn't matter uh, when it comes to this stuff. We're not electing officials we can't elect you know our state officials or whatever we can't do that because that is a state confined thing but when it comes to uh policy that is affected affecting this you know animals and stuff that are held in a public trust you're an out-of-state hunter you're allowed to go hunt anywhere you want to go you're spending money in that state you know yeah you're buying a tag you're doing this and as hunters, we all pay in federally to the same pot. Pittman Robinson all goes into the same pot. All these license sales and tag sales, portions of that all go into the same deal. And that is our voice. Once that diminishes, our seat at the table gets less and less and less and less. And when we are the less squeakier wheel than the other, guess what? Right. Bye-bye. Very easy to say, okay, well, you know, because it's not publicly uh, as acceptable now, you know, like it, it's much easier for a politician to go, yeah, well, let's get rid of mountain lion hunting because, yeah, you know, they're cute and cuddly kittens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, that I, shit does happen. Oh, yeah. Especially if a lot of this stuff is moving to ballot box stuff, we're going to lose everything. That's where Oregon's at. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, man. All right. We'll-